0: You've reached the Onkin Radio Podcast. Nick Onkin here, exploring the world from creativity, consciousness, and everything in between to help you alchemize your life to its fullest expression. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Nick Onkin here with the Onkin Radio Podcast. And I'm excited to bring to you today's guest, Melissa Morris. She is an intimacy coordinator for TV and film. She's also an intimacy coach and teaches on all things sex, love, polyamory, and tantra and so many different things. And I wanted to have her on the podcast because that is currently something that I've been exploring, just my own sexuality, my own thoughts and exploration of curiosity and growing that side of things. So we talk a lot about polyamory, gender bending, tantra, gender fluidity. Sex and self-pleasure and so many different things we cover here in this podcast. So a very, very fascinating and interesting, fun conversation. So uh, I'm excited to share this with you. You can find her on her Instagram and learn more about what she's all about at eatmycake.love on the IGs. She also talks a lot about relationship communication, which is obviously one of the biggest keys, not only in heteronormative relationships, but polyamorous relationships and all kinds of different relationships. Communication is the key, and she talks a lot about that because it is all about creating the space for these types of things. So, without further ado, I bring to you Melissa Morris. okay hello everyone we are welcoming melissa to the show Shamanatrix, intimacy coordinator mm-hmm. and yeah, we're going to dive into some sexy subjects today. <laughs> Welcome to the show. <laughs> Ow. Thanks for coming.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we were just talking about Baby Yoda and how he's been so in your field or extra special.
2: Totally. It's kind of, kind of interesting. You know, there's those little like synchronicities that pop up. There's those little synchronicities that pop up. So I am a sacred sexuality practitioner as well. I teach tantra. I have a private business and I can also teach like kink 101 or the mixture of kinky tantra is like really what I love. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So when my clients would come over, I reached a point where when... They were paying me. Some of them want to pay cash and I would say, okay, no problem. But it feels a little like sometimes odd to just receive cash, like Mm. in some ways. So I'm, I started telling my clients, I said, you know, bring me cash inside of something fun and, (laughs) (laughs) and it's exciting because it gives me an opportunity to feel like I'm being gifted something, which is one of my love languages. Uh, I love to receive gifts. Mm. And also because it creates a little bit of spiciness and juiciness and mystery in this exchange because I don't know what they're gonna bring me. I tell them to not tell me. And so one of my clients brought a baby Yoda blanket uh, (laughs) with like $500 stuffed inside of the blanket and it was epic. And wow. ever since that moment, which this was about a year ago, maybe a less than a year ago, I've just been seeing baby Yoda everywhere <laughs> everywhere. I go to Loveburn, baby Yoda. I go to a friend's party. Someone has a baby Yoda shirt. I'm here. You have a baby Yoda. And- <laughs> And I'm like, is this a good omen? Is this good luck? Like, can you tell me about Baby Yoda and why it's such a fad?
0: hes I don't know. He's just so... I mean, I wish he was actually Baby Yoda. Was, if, you, <laughs> if you followed the show, it's, it's, his name is Grogu. He's like a descendant of Yoda. Okay. But, you know, I think he's just such a mini Yoda. Everybody know, And everybody knows the character of Yoda. Right. Because, like, Star Wars is so legendary. It is. So I think... I think people just want to call him Baby Yoda, but he's such a little Jedi Master. And I think as we all tap into these like other spaces of consciousness, he's like a little G of consciousness. Ooh, you know what I mean? Like (laughs) if you've seen the the show, he's like lifting things with his Jedi forces and and all of that. So maybe that's why he's so legendary.
2: You know, I'm gonna have to go back and and rewatch (laughs) Star (laughs) Wars.
0: Yeah, (laughs) might have to revisit. Yes. Especially like, I think for me, looking at things from a space of consciousness, as I've gone through my own, you know, spiritual awakening, whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. going back and rewatching different movies like Star Wars or Avatar or The Matrix, they all have like, you see them from a different, totally different space.
2: Yeah, I agree. I definitely know that after I trained at the William Esper studio for theater and I started watching movies from the perspective of learning acting technique like the entire world changed for me. And television and film changed for me the way I read a script and the way I understand the characters' perspectives, the way I understand the stakes. It has truly transformed from just something that I watch to something that I'm actively analyzing and taking mm. in and masticating. Yeah. And and it's actually really awesome because I've gone and rewatched Different shows or movies that before I felt not so stimulated by, and now I'm just like finding so many nuggets in in the programming. It's it's pretty cool how certain elements can change our perspective when we're open to receiving the transformation.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. When we're open to that, whatever a belief system or narrative or aware uh, like awareness. Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. So let's, I would love to jump back and kind of see where, where was it that like you started your, I don't know if you want to call it a spiritual awakening or a dive into consciousness or, and then like what pushed you into exploring sacred sexuality? I mean, where, where did that Mm -hmm. kind of begin?
2: You know, I, I, it began at a very young age. I was always very curious about sexuality my Barbies were always having sex. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was I was having sex with my teddy bears. Amazing. Yeah, and I was Go like, "Teddy,
0: fine." <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I mean, like, is sex in the sense of like masturbation with this teddy bear you know or like rubbing the teddy bear on my genitals and feeling a stimulation from that mm-hmm. so my my like sexual activation started at a very young age which is very common and children we're always curious and we're exploring and we have childlike you know demeanor so There's an opportunity to explore all of it. It's really when the like parental units come in and they're like, no, don't do that. Stop doing that. Uh, You know, that sound of just the ambulance.
0: (laughs) I'm in
1: New
2: York. I'm back in New York. Uh, We're in New York. (laughs) Anyway, so that's where my journey started in the realm of sexuality for myself. It started in childhood. I was attracted to boys and girls if i'm speaking in the binary here and i remember my best friend and i we went into the closet and uh went with another friend of ours a boy and um all three of us decided to pull down our pants and lift up our shirt at the same time (laughs) (laughs) because we were like, let's see what happens. And we did that. And I remember being so fascinated by my friend Veronica and being like, oh my God, she has the same thing I have. Like when my mom had it, I was like, whatever, it's my mom. <laughs> like I didn't even think about it. But then with her, I was like, whoa, that's so cool. And with my my guy friend, I believe his name is Darnell. I can't remember. I'll just say Darnell for now. And he, you know has a penis and I was just like
1: Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: and and I felt more attraction towards Veronica and so we decided to do it again and mm-hmm. the second time it was just me and her and we got caught my dad caught us in the closet <sighs> yeah and it's the first and only time my dad ever laid hands on me. Wow. Yeah. And so that experience, I feel like shifted the rest of my life in many ways, you know, like that moment where something that was curious and pleasurable, became something taboo, stigmatized, and something to be disciplined for. Mm -hmm. Started this journey of me constantly being in this push-pull of what's okay, what's not okay, what edge can I step into, and breaking the patterns that uh, societal norms have placed on us and on myself. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, as as an adult, I just stepped into polyamory when I was 24 years old. It's the first time I heard of the term polyamory. Mm -hmm. And I had realized that, you know, I was in relationships in my teenage years up until my mid twenties, where I was completely and totally like down for my boyfriend. I mainly had boyfriends at that point and still wanted to have sex with other people. And, Still loved my boyfriend, and it was a very conflicting feeling. And yeah. so, <laughs> I don't know, have you experienced that before?
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely,
2: I would say many, many people have, you know. Um, mm-hmm. so when I heard of the term polyamory, I was like, Oh my god, what is that? and when I realized there is a community of people who felt that it was possible to have ethical, conscious relationships with multiple people through conversation, through agreements, through, quote unquote, contracts, negotiations, boundaries,
1: mm-hmm.
2: I, I just burst with joy. And
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> at, at the age of, yeah, 25, I came fully out of the closet as polyamorous and bisexual Uh, which now I identify as, as omni amorous or polyamorous and pansexual over just bisexual.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe let's just, if you can kind of give a little definition to those, to, to those for people listening, that would, that would be great.
2: Yeah. So for me, the definition of polyamory is quite literally from the etymology, which is from Greek and Latin. Poly meaning many, and amorous meaning love, Mm amour. So it's the capacity to love many in many different ways. Mm. It's that simple. That means that we can all be polyamorous. And I'm like, yup. (laughs) (laughs) We can all be polyamorous, whether it's sapiosexually, whether it's sexually, whether it's emotionally. Mm -hmm. And then omni-amorous means like, The greater universe. Mm. So I am love as a part of the greater universe, and the greater universe is a part of me as love. (laughs) And it isn't only into the realm of poly with languaging, because also what ended up happening with the term poly is it became this kind of like. Fad of people to be like, I'm poly, I'm poly, I'm poly. And then they use that as an excuse to cheat and be unfaithful or be dishonest with their lovers or partners mm-hmm. because they're saying they're polyamorous. Right. Which I'm all about reclaiming the word polyamorous. I think it's a great word. And I also think omniamorous is a great word. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more stretchiness in there, you know, and it also means like, I'm in love with the universe, like the universe is my partner, you know, it's all inclusive in Mm. that sense. And then the other terminology I was using was bisexual. Mm -hmm. A lot of times people think bisexual means like the binary. So I like both men and women in the binary sense. Uh, However, bisexual means being attracted to two sexualities. Right. So it doesn't have to be assigned male at birth or an assigned female at birth. It could be a trans person. It could be a non-binary person and Mm. that's your bisexuality range. Got it. Got it. Uh, And then pansexual means pan as in all. So similar to omni, I have a desire and an openness to be sexually active with any sexual shape or form. Mm. I don't have a specificity anymore that it's assigned male at birth or assigned female at birth. Granted, I have not had uh, the pleasure of having a lot of romantic engagements with a lot of trans folk in the sense of pre-op or post-op. Transgendered, yes. Like myself, I consider myself gender fluid now or gender transcendent. Mm. And so, which are more terminology. (laughs) Um, And yeah, so those are the definitions.
0: Amazing, thanks for sharing. Yeah, I'd love to dive into the is it is it gender well non-binary mm-hmm. gender and uh, gender transcendent mm-hmm. what does that look like what does that mean to you because I've been having these conversations one of my really close friends is went non-binary uh, recently and so like I had a conversation with them on the podcast last year which mm-hmm. is fascinating so I'm, I'm just I'm always curious to learn more about what that means to you and how that has come into your orbit.
2: Yes. So shameless plug, Tara Anderson is, was one of my teachers in 2020. I took a three or four month course. Uh, It's called a queer competency certification. Wow. And it's a gender and sexuality certification. And I took this course because I wanted at the time to start a company called Eat My Cake, (laughs) 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 which, you know, I still do uh, in some ways. And I wanted to build a company that was as inclusive as possible. Mm -hmm. And I felt that I wasn't as knowledgeable about the trans community. Like I was really knowledgeable about the cis community, really knowledgeable about the bi community, but definitely not knowledgeable about the trans community as much and super supportive of drag and super supportive of trans rights and always like rah-rah, but like still not 100% sure I understood. Mm-hmm. And so this course really, really helped me understand not only more about the trans community, but about myself, Mm -hmm. which was wild. I went into this course thinking, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, poly and bi and came out like I am the universe and... (laughs) The universe can fuck me and I could fuck the universe. <laughs> yes, like, yes. Yes. Tell me, tell me more.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, and, and understanding the definitions and the differences between gender, biological sex, and sexual orientation is so huge.
1: Mm. Um,
2: so gender being gender identity, how I see myself and mm-hmm. then gender expression how the world sees me or how i dress so based on societal norms and perspectives mm. and and you know phases of fashion and then there's biological sex which is what genitals was i born with am i born with and you know we typically know the vagina or the penis but there's also intersex. Mm. And so 1.7% of the human population at this point is intersex, which is the same amount of redheads as there are in the world. So mm. one out of every 100 persons in the world is intersex, which is a lot. Yeah. You know? And then there's the sexual orientation piece, right? So it's who am I attracted to? So mm. when those definitions started to become clearer to me I started realizing that I had a bias around the trans community that I wasn't even aware of yeah and specifically with womanhood and having a womb and my my womb somehow being the defining character of my womanhood Mm. and how much focus there was on that especially within certain feminist groups and I realized that there is an undercurrent of prejudice and discrimination around the trans community, particularly around folks who, you know, transition from assigned male at birth to assigned female at birth, not being respected because they don't have a womb. Mm. And as I started to unravel these patterns and these thoughts and these limiting thought beliefs and this kind of like exclusionary way of being, I started realizing more and more, like even within myself, that I have suppressed myself for many, many years to fit into a box because I was a professional model for 12 years and I needed to look the commercial way. You know, having really curly hair, being a multi-ethnic person, (laughs) it's like... You know, what everyone now sees is like Target and Walmart and like <laughs> Adidas and United Colors of Benetton. Like that was my era of modeling. And everyone was like, this is your lane. And I always felt incredibly torn. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I had to be more performative as a woman. I had to do the hair and the nails and the makeup and dress a certain way in order to survive, in order to be seen, to be loved, to be taken care of. And this class just like turned that all on its head. And I just like started getting all of these memories back of like when I had a Mohawk when I was 19, when like I just had massive crushes on androgynous women or non binary folk when I was mm-hmm. younger, and also still to this day. And like that there's this man inside of me that likes to show up sometimes mm-hmm. in different ways. And I just felt so much permission from this course to literally be whoever the fuck I want to be, whenever the fuck I want to be that person, Mm -hmm. that it was a no brainer for me to step into a label around gender fluidity, that I get to express my gender fluidly, that nobody can tell me how to do that because this is my body, this is my life, Mm -hmm. and I can, you know, strap it on sometimes or I could be tied up and completely submissive hanging from a ceiling. I mean, there's, (laughs) (laughs) you know, there's, there's so much fun in that world Mm -hmm. and like really honoring myself as a shapeshifter, really honoring myself as someone who doesn't have to fit into a box to be loved. Mm -hmm. And that's my journey around gender fluidity. Yeah, I, I. I don't consider myself non-binary. Okay. I sometimes step into a space where I'm like, I'm a woman. I sometimes Mm. step into a space where I'm like, I'm a man. I sometimes step into a space where I am devoid of labels. Nutois is the term. Nutois. Nutois. Yeah. I like it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Thanks for sharing.
2: Yeah, you got it.
0: Yeah, I'm curious to to know, or just to, you know, you talk about sacred sexuality, and for someone as like myself who's just kind of starting to like tap in and understand that that subject, I would love to hear from your perspective what that looks like to you, and and yeah. what the what does it mean? What it what it what do you love? What draws you to it?
2: Yeah, mm, everything.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And maybe give us a good vast description of actually what it is.
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, So the difference between sexuality versus sacred sexuality. Yeah. Uh, So words are funny. You know, they they (laughs) constantly change and sometimes they stick around for long periods of time. So I think in the tantric community, in the conscious community there's been this adoption of the word sacred in everything, right? you know, it's a sacred shower, it's a sacred (laughs) bath, it's a sacred walk. (laughs) And it's like, sure, why not? I think when I think of the difference between sacred sexuality versus sexuality is that sexuality is this very like scientific, like scientifically defined term Mm
1: -hmm.
2: in the sense of like, It's in the dictionary and we know that it means X, Y, Z and sacred sexuality is like, okay, how do we take sexuality and create more intention and add more consciousness and create more spaciousness around it and create a world where there's more elasticity Mm. for us to play in. Mm. So It could be playful sexuality instead of sacred sexuality. Mm. It could be omni-sexuality. It could be any of these other terms, but sacred is what we've stuck with because there's also this element of using sexuality as a tool to heal and heal trauma. Mm. And it could be trauma from a space of sexual trauma, or it could be trauma from a space of abandonment wounds or insecurities limiting thought beliefs. Mm -hmm. So that is how I see sacred sexuality and how I move in the world with sacred sexuality, knowing that it's not every time that I have sex that I'm setting an intention before Mm -hmm. I have sex, but I definitely set an intention way more now than I ever have before, (laughs) which for some of us, we may understand sex magic And for many of us, there's a lot of curiosity around what that means, but it's literally taking the words and empowering them with orgasm or empowering them with pleasure Hmm. and using that life force energy, that creation energy to really manifest or manifest what we're calling in in our lives.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I guess, and that, that gives me another question is like, how does that differ for men and women? Because I've heard for women or you know it's it's like the orgasm that perpetuates the the energy, right? Whereas for men is is it kind of it kind of dives into like semen retention and holding the orgasm or the ejacu- yeah, the ejaculation of the orgasm to actually like circulate that energy,
2: yeah, totally. Um, I think that you know there's a lot more similarities and there are differences, yeah. There are plenty of, again, I'll say women or yoni having folks that can ejaculate right through squirting. Mm-hmm. And there are plenty of cock bodied folks or lingam having folks that when that they cannot ejaculate, but they still orgasm. Mm. So, you know, there's I, I attempt to not be as binary in my responses. And so I can be a little long winded because of that, (laughs) but in, in the response of how our bodies operate with energy, there is, you know, a giving and a receiving Mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter what gender you are or what sex you have, we can be givers or receivers. Mm -hmm. And it's just about learning how to do that. So it's kind of flipping the concept on its head of what you just said, that women tend to be the ones that are giving the energy and men tend to be the one that are, I'm sorry, can you repeat what you said?
0: I wasn't necessarily even talking about that. I was more talking about like the physical, I'm I'm just like, from what I've been learning is, is to, for men to transmute, like hold the ejaculation of an orgasm to, and then turn have orgasm, like a full body orgasm. Yeah. From what I've heard, the yoni beings mm-hmm.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> trying to understand this. So the magical practice is the, the orgasm, like the orgasm amplifies the, the magic or the yeah. intention.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And anybody can receive that. And yes, like for folks who have ejaculatory orgasms and have penises, it is encouraged For them to be able to cycle the energy within their body, like you're talking about. So there's many different ways of doing that. Breath, sound, and movement is tantra. Mm -hmm. Um, so using the breath to move the energy up and around is a microcosmic orbit. So we're breathing in and we're moving the energy up from our perennial all the way up, up through our spine, up the top of our head, and then we breathe out to the top of our, like through the like front of our face, down our chest, and around our genitals. So using that. Visualization and then doing the breath is how we can start to move the energy in the body so it's cycling through us. Then there's the action of bursting the energy out throughout your fingertips, throughout mm-hmm. your toes, through the top of your head, and through your asshole. And now you can connect to the universe through orgasm, and the mm-hmm. universe connects to you. Mm-hmm. Again, another visualization. But it's that visualization is so powerful that it literally sends this energy out. Right. And so oftentimes folks think that yoni having folks uh, are always doing that. And that's not the case. Like there's there's plenty of people who like their orgasm is concentrated where their clitoris is or concentrated where like... Their inner vagina or vaginal canal is, and, um, and 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 it's concentrated in that place, and it hasn't expanded, and it's because that's what they know, right? You know, so it's really about shifting what we know. The difference, major difference, is that people who have semen, semen retention, is something that people who do not have semen cannot do. Right. So the female ejaculation, the squirting, that is something that personally, now I don't know, like don't quote me on this or anything, but personally, squirt all you want all day every day, like if that's what feels good, I don't feel like that's going to release something in the female body that is somehow not going to allow for that person to maintain their their inner energy. Although the more you have sex and the more you keep coming and coming and coming, you could exhaust yourself if you're always going for that climactic orgasm. Mm-hmm. So even within you only having folks like learning how to use that microcosmic orbit and not always going for the climax, like
1: mm-hmm.
2: letting the energy cycle throughout the body. And and being okay with the waves as opposed to the mountain mm-hmm. is is super great and is a practice that I often have trouble with because I'm like, oh my God, I really want it. <laughs> <laughs> so I totally, totally relate to to the cockbodied folks who ejaculate, because I'm like, yeah, that feeling is so good. But the seed is is the part with ejaculation. It's the life force energy, it's what impregnates the egg. Mm-hmm. So When that seed is constantly released from the male body, then you start to weaken the seed inside of you. Mm -hmm. So I don't have a penis. I wasn't born with a penis. I mean, I own many dildos. Uh, (laughs) uh, So I can't speak. From personal experience, I can only speak from talking to other folks about it and my lovers about it, who I encourage them to try semen retention and edging practices. Mm -hmm. And basically what starts to happen is there's this bubbling of energy that starts to happen in the body. Mm -hmm. And usually that means like you definitely have to like be on top of your diet. You have to be working out. You have to be exerting the new levels of testosterone that are now like <laughs> bubbling, like blah, 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 you know? Yeah. And channeling that energy through different ways of exertion, meditation, exercise, like I just mentioned, breath. And and once that period of of discomfort has started to take a turn, there's like a switch that goes off in the body where. Now, all of a sudden, there's more concentration, there's more intentional conversation, there's Mm -hmm. more intention in the relationship. And now you can start to have multiple orgasms without ejaculating. And this is through plenty of practice because the orgasm feels different. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. an actual different way of feeling pleasure. Yeah. And once that happens, then you can control when you want to ejaculate. And that's really even more powerful because now you have more choice. Mm -hmm. And so for me, one of the biggest purposes in my life is to help people have more choice, empowered choice.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, I would definitely say it is hard (laughs) to hold. (laughs) An ejaculatory <laughs> orgasm. <laughs> <laughs> Unintended.
1: <laughs>
0: uh-huh. Yeah, it's definitely, a, you know, it's, it, but it's definitely something that I've been interested in practicing. So, so thank you for enlightening me a little bit more in and the, and the practice. I'd, I'd be curious to hear how do you connect the giving and the receiving now to the actual physical practices, whether it's yoni, Yoni-based or penis-based?
2: Lingam is the same. Lingam. Word. Yeah, That's lingam. what I was like. <laughs> I
0: always forget that one. Lingam and yoni.
2: Lingam and yoni.
0: Um, so yeah, you were talking about the energetic giving and receiving. How, what does that look like when you connect it to the physical body?
2: Mm, yes. So like first and foremost, someone cannot give if they cannot receive. If someone does not know how to receive, giving is actually a distorted version of giving. Mm. it's what they have created in their mind around their own need of protection because receiving is so edgy that they have to step into a space of giving all the time. Mm. And then it kind of turns in on itself where that person is just giving, 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 giving. They burn out. They've developed resentment. There's narcissism. The ego starts to take you know place and there's fear of being hurt in some way. And then there's also, you know, folks who just receive all the time and, and they don't give. And that can turn into complacency, laziness, shallowness, lack of emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. you know, and to name a few things. Yeah. Yeah. And so when I step into my sessions, often with my clients, they're very used to being the givers, you know, and um, I'm very like, you know, forward with them. And I said, this is about you receiving because there's no way that you're going to know what to do for me without allowing me to show you what I even like or how I'd like to receive it on you. Mm -hmm. And that logic helps people feel a little bit more at ease. Mm -hmm. You know, they're like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And I'm like, great. (laughs) (laughs) It's the first little chip. Yeah, And then after that, it's, The end of the session and they're like, oh my God, I feel like a new person, Mm. you know, because there's a way that I orchestrate these sessions and that I create a safer container and that I'm very clear and I'm checking in so that they can be in a place of receiving. And if they Mm -hmm. can't really receive, this is the part where the kinky tantra comes in. You've Mm. got your rope, you've got your bondage cuffs. So I'll tie their hands to the bed or to something. So they can't get focused on touching me too much because that's another way of like wanting to give Mm. is to touch the other person or it's like I have to touch someone else to be able to feel pleasure. Mm. And so I'm not saying there's anything wrong with touching each other to feel pleasure. I love to touch myself and I love to touch other people. I'm just saying that there is a moment in time where just being able to not touch anything other than like the side of my leg or the side of the bed or maybe a gentle brush on the leg or something offers an opportunity for something deeper to happen Mm -hmm. and, and deeper, deeper receiving. Yeah. Yeah. So then now that person leaves with that experience and they're like, okay, I understand. Now I know how to give more. So that's how I think of giving and receiving in that sense. Also in the sense that it's completely non-binary You know, like just Mm -hmm. because someone has a penis doesn't mean that they're the giver, you know, just because someone has a vagina and vulva means they're the receiver. Mm -hmm. Like technically speaking, you have like an object, you know, you have one sexual organ that's penetrating another sexual organ, but then energetically I could turn that on its head and I could be penetrating the other person with my energetic cock, Mm -hmm. you know, and my energy. And so... There's a lot of complexity in it.
0: Yeah, (laughs) no doubt. (laughs) I love it. No, it's so fascinating. All right, my friend, I want to tell you about today's sponsor. And it is one of my favorite brands, Organifi. Uh, As you know, I'm all about putting healthy things into my body and using different supplements and things to get the nutrients that I need uh, when I can't always have access to them through other means of vegetables and things like that so one of my favorite uh, mixtures is something that i like to mix three of their products together it's the pure the red juice and the green juices and it's a power pack of nutrients in the morning Um, so i've been doing this every morning and what's been great is i've been taking it on my travels so that i can keep some daily nutrients with me especially when it's a very travel schedule i don't always have access to foods that i want to eat Um, so it's a great staple, great way to, um, bring things on the road. They have little travel packs too, which is perfect. you can just drop them in, mix them with water and they're delicious. Less than three grams of sugar, uh, which is very, very little and it's all organic either way, no processed sugars. Uh, so the green juice, which is great is just, you get your daily doses, your daily dose of nutrients that you need just mix it with water. There's 11 superfoods like ashwagandha, morninga, chlorella, spirulina, turmeric, and much more. The red juice is a superfood berry blend that contains adaptogens, antioxidants, and a clinical dose of cordyceps mushrooms, which is highly, highly beneficial to you. There's 13 superfoods for energy support like Beets, blueberries, acai, pomegranate, Siberian ginseng, reishi, mushrooms, rhodiola, and more. So, it gives you a bunch of energy without the caffeine. Um, And then Pure. uh, Pure is about promoting gut health and the morning brain fog is very helpful. It promotes healthy BDNF levels and mental clarity. For those of you that don't know what that is, I didn't. I had to look this up. uh, Brain-derived neurotropic factor. It's the key molecule involved in plastic changes related to learning and memory so neuroplasticity things like that uh what's great it's infused with lion's mane and coffee berry got baobab from an african fruit that contains 10 times the amount of vitamin c that oranges do got apple cider vinegar to improve gut health contains All kinds of other goodies like aloe vera, ginger root, monk fruit, digestive enzymes, and more. So you can go check this out, uh, Organifi.com. That's with an I uh, at the end, not a Y. And you can use the code Onken, O-N-K-E-N, for 15% off at checkout. You talked about healing from trauma through whatever it is, like maybe kink or BDSM, Mm -hmm. what is that? Can you go deeper down into that and what that looks like and how that works? Because I know I have another friend, a really close friend of mine, who's been playing around in these spaces and said it's been tremendous healing for her. Mm. So I would love to hear more of what that looks like and how that works.
2: Absolutely. So kink and BDSM taught me boundaries and tantra taught me softness, Mm. fluidity slowing down, which are just very, very powerful tools in my tool belt. So for me, the introduction of kink into my life helped me realize that there were parts of my upbringing and parts of my existence that were unprocessed. Mm -hmm. And I was able to process them through certain scenes and through certain ways of being touched, like particularly impact play. I grew up in a household where domestic abuse was, you know, common and common enough. And it, you know, struck me kind of odd to then want to be flogged or want to be like spanked or slapped in the face. And then like also being slapped in the face is like this, like... Horrible thing, like someone slapped you in the face. Oh my god, hmm. at the gauntlet, you know, <laughs>
0: no cultural references at all here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, um, and then I got slapped in the face while having sex, and I was caught off guard. I had a conversation with him many years later about the fact that after I learned about consent that Mm -hmm. it wasn't consensual what he was doing per se because it wasn't explicit. It was an implicit consent. It wasn't that he like verbally told me what he was going to do. He just like lightly started tapping on my face. And then I was kind of like, okay, I guess I could be into this. And then bam. And like, I was like, holy shit. Like, why do I like this? (laughs) 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 Um, And, you know, it kind of turned this whole like – Hispanic, getting slapped in the face, being like the worst thing that could ever happen in the world to like, ooh, yeah, slap me in the face. Like, that's really hot. Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like finding pleasure. And I'm not saying that that's for everybody. That's a specific example that is specific to me. There's so many different ways of introducing kink and BDSM into a dynamic that has nothing to do with impact play Mm -hmm. that has to do more with like maybe coddling someone or like a baby kink, like someone really didn't get the nurture when they were growing up that they needed from Mm -hmm. their, you know, parental figure And so now in their adulthood, there's this like missing part of them that wants nurture. So instead of shutting down and pushing people out, okay, find a group of people or one other person or a dynamic where, hey, I want to be a baby tonight. Like, I want you to treat me like a baby. I want you to give me this nurture, set a timed container and create a safer space for that to happen. So then that person can then walk into the world with more compassion and empathy because they feel this void has been filled to a certain extent. Hmm. That's on the like physical plane and it steps into the psychological plane. Now there's a deeper psychological plane that is required to understand before even being able to integrate many of the BDSM kink world or even the tantra world or the sacred sexuality world or just sex in general. If we are not understanding of our agency, of our sovereignty, it's very challenging to lead a life where we're going to find happiness in the way that can actually break down all of the little sticky parts that have stuck to us because of our early childhood development, because of our little t and our big t traumas. Mm-hmm. So ISTA, which is the International School of Temple Arts, is a sacred sexuality and shamanic retreat that happens globally. And I attended, and I also attended Bruce Lyons, who created the Basically, exoskeleton for ISTA level two. He does a, a mystery school experience in New Zealand that's six weeks long. That's all about transformational work hmm. and many different facets. And, you know, they're, they run like they weave into each other, but like hidden Mystery School is still very different than ISTA. So, going back to ISTA, ISTA level one is all about consent and sovereignty and mm. agency and how i show up for myself and my boundaries Mm. and language around that and um and then from that place going into a specific scene going into a specific yoni massage or lingam massage or practice where we're incorporating sexuality we can then go into the body in some way from an integrated space from a hollow bone space, because it's not about me having an agenda about what someone else is going to experience. It's just about being present and allowing that person to process whatever is alive for them, that maybe they've been just burying deep inside of their genitals
1: Mm -hmm.
2: or burying in their neck and their shoulders, you know, or burying somewhere in their feet or their hands. And you know, the different techniques of like shabari and bondage of like closely being tied to the point where like I cannot release and I cannot escape means that I surrender and that I trust. Mm-hmm. So I started to learn how to trust again and I started to learn how to allow myself to let go because I was so, you know, high strung from growing up in an environment where I was constantly in an abusive state, whether it was physical or emotional or psychological. And I never thought in a million years that being tied up would ever create the level of expansion in my life to help me step more deeper into my power. Mm. You know, so I don't know if that answers.
1: Yeah,
0: no, beautiful. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You mentioned consent and, and this was a big thing at Unleash where we met what is that? How's that looked to you? You know, because they gave a whole framework and and all this stuff, and I'm sure it's like obviously different. But how have you approached that since you started learning about about it in, in the beginning?
2: Mm. Oh my god, consent changed everything for me. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me how. Yeah, <laughs>
0: and why, and all the things.
2: <laughs> I I remember. And, like, the thing about consent is, again, the language, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different models for consent. There's a lot of different belief systems around consent. There, Like, my friend Lila Donalo has a podcast, Horizontal with Lila. And, <laughs> li- yeah, it's amazing. amazing. Yeah, she's awesome. And she literally has, like, two, two-and-a-half or three-hour or one-and-a-half-hour sessions podcast episodes just on consent. Wow. Yeah. So, like, I encourage listeners to like go on the adventure of of what consent can mean. You know, there's the Planned Parenthood model, the ISTA model, there's the BDSM kink model. There's so many different models, right? And it's it does become nuanced, you know, because then there's also consensual non-consent, which is a lot of fun.
0: I've heard <laughs> such things. <laughs>
1: Maybe we need to whisper about that. <laughs> Oh <laughs> <Shh. laughs> um. tell me more. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um
2: so when I used to work as a model and also I worked nightlife as a bottle waitress and and a server for many many years the amount of times I was touched was insane like without oh, anyone imagine. asking me You know, same thing with like being on set and getting naked, you know, or like, you know, having to change outfits in front of other people and it just being like, whatever, this is just how it is. Like, this is what you do. Like, like it's not that's not consensual, you know, like it's very much like this is the business. This is your role. You've stepped into this. You knew this is what was going to happen. So do it. Mm -hmm. And it is a limiting way of being alive. You know, it doesn't give people freedom of choice, which goes directly against my life purpose, Mm -hmm. uh, which is why I'm no longer in that industry as of right now. So when I first started to understand that I could ask someone to touch me a certain way or that they could ask me to touch me a certain way, I realized, oh, I have more agency over myself Mm. and when i understood the consent language and when i understood more about conflict resolution de-escalation techniques rupture repair systems stuff like that i was then able to like be in a situation where if my consent was violated in some way instead of having an emotional trigger or an emotional reaction to it out of fight flight freeze or appease or fawn appease and fawn are the same thing I was able to have more control Mm. over my life and over my pleasure and my joy. So, yeah, there's, there's this moment that like the doors parted open for me in a way because of consent culture and because of consent language. And a lot of times I heard folks and I still hear folks say, oh, you know, like, if I ask someone to kiss them, that just takes the mystery out of it. Like now, now they know I'm going to kiss them and now it's over. And I'm like, can you listen to yourself real quick? You know, like, (laughs) (laughs) like like what's over exactly? You know, like what about asking someone to kiss them means that you no longer have a connection to them anymore? Hmm. Why is it that we've convinced ourselves that if we don't just overtly Act on something that somehow we're taking away from ourselves. Mm. And so personally, when someone asks me if they want to kiss me, I'm like, can you tell me how you'd like to kiss me?
0: Oh, (laughs) hey, could you foreplay me? Yeah, can
2: you? (laughs) 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 I'd be like, sure, I'd love for you to start like right here, right under my ear. And slowly work your way up my jaw to my lips and gently suckle on my bottom lip. And, like, don't use too much tongue to start. I just really want to feel your lips pressed against mine. And my mouth is watering as I'm saying this right
0: now. (laughs) I'm like,
2: (coughs) excuse us. We'll be right back.
0: (laughs)
1: We'll
2: be right back. (laughs) <laughs> um and that to me is erotic and that to me is exciting and it's delicious and then when there's like more comfort with the other person then I don't really need to ask You know, Mm -hmm. this is, this is an example that's more for like your first time kissing someone or your first few times. And then later on you can weave it into a scene, you know, (laughs) and, and, and so that's something for me that feels really transformational and, and also like, you know, having conversations about STIs or STDs, Mm -hmm. you know, removing the fear around, if I say something, I won't get what I want. And just being like, if I say something, I give myself a choice and the other person a choice to make a decision, where then I'm not dealing with the repercussions of that person being like, I didn't really want to do that. I can't believe you didn't tell me this. How could you do this to me? You know, and also just realizing how empowering consent is, Yeah, you know, like it's a two-way street Mm -hmm. always like, and sometimes there's moments where like I have had my consent violated and it took for that violation for me to understand how to set up a boundary Mm. and uh, no way, shape or form am I encouraging people to go violate other people's consent so that they can, the other person can understand their boundaries. I would highly recommend that everyone take accountability for their own actions and, you know, be as caring and kind and compassionate and empathetic and clear around what they're wanting before inflicting any kind of pain or harm on somebody else.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> do, <not> do that. Do <laughs> that. Yeah.
1: do do that.
0: How would you say you've created boundaries from that in other interactions? Is it a matter of just stating your boundaries? Kind of like we learned in, at Unleashed. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, it is a little bit like that. So when stating my boundaries now, I have certain boundaries around who I date, for example. And because I've been poly for X amount of years, I'm very cautious around who I bring into my inner circle if they haven't been poly for Mm. X amount of time, because there's a learning curve that comes with that. And so the learning curve is something that for a period of time, I was myself in. So being with other people who were in the learning curve felt okay. Mm -hmm. That turned in on itself for a lot of reasons. So then for quite a bit of time, I stepped into a space where I was like, I do not want to be in a relationship with someone who's never been poly or is on the fringe of poly or unsure because like, that's only going to harm me in the long road because mm. that person could just change their mind at any second and then I'm left with a broken heart or whatever the story is And mm-hmm. that I've created because inevitably I accepted that person into my life knowing that so you know that's I had to take I took that risk so mm-hmm. it's on me as well yeah now I'm in this place where I'm like okay I could be open to being with someone who's newer to Polly if they're doing their the work right quote unquote mm-hmm. Are you doing personal development growth work? Are you reading books about Polly? Are you talking about Polly? Are you interested? Are you doing your own thing mm-hmm. without the expectation of me guiding you into it? I mean, I'm also an intimacy coach and I do this for a living now. So I don't necessarily want to be teaching my partner or lovers all of the time. That can get really annoying for me and for the other person or persons. Mm-hmm. So that's one way that I can describe, like, boundaries in my life at this current point. Another way is, like, I don't like my belly button touched. That's weird. I don't like it. (laughs) Fair enough. So when we're talking about, like, touch boundaries, when we're about to go into a scene and play with each other, let's say, I'm like, hey, I don't like to be – I don't like impact that's stingy. I like impact that's thuddy. I don't like – nails on I don't like scratching sensation on my body from nails that are short only nails that are like longer cat nail type <laughs> like I don't like a tongue in my ear just like <laughs> 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 just like that <laughs> <laughs> um, you know sometimes a little slip is all right but like for the most part I like my neck being like nibbled and licked and sucked on and like the bottom of my ear and the back of my ear more so than like a tongue inside of my ear.
0: Yeah. You know, now that you mentioned it, a tongue in the air is not my, not my jam either.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Especially with it. that.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you have it folks. <laughs> Boundaries. 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 (laughs) All right. All right. I love that. (laughs) Love that. (laughs) Um, I want to jump back to a little bit. And I know this is kind of something that has come up, especially because you said you worked in an industry where there was a lot of unwanted, unconsented, unconsensual advances. (laughs) Um, and And I find this with a lot of friends that experience this. And don't really, don't really know, like, it's how do you handle something like that when you're out in the wild on -hmm. the streets Mm -hmm. at parties, serving, whatever it is, what does that look like? How, I mean, what have you learned to be able to better handle things like that?
2: Mm. I have learned that I am more in control now than I've ever been in the sense of being able to kindly and directly say to someone I realize that this may be something normal for you but it's not okay for you to speak to me or touch me in that way I do not consent Mm. it's very clear you could even remove the first part of it because it could be a little insulting to be like I know this is normal for you because then they may be like whoa (laughs) so it's more like the way that you've just grabbed me or touched me or spoken to me is something that I do not agree with. And I would please ask that you refrain from doing that.
1: Mm. If
2: you'd like to approach me in a specific way, please ask for my consent first. Mm. And it is, it's very cut and dry. Yeah. You know, and there's been moments where like, I'll give you an example. I went to a ethical non-monogamy Mixer
1: and-
0: <laughs> <laughs> what is th- Okay tell me Give me the context What is this What is this Something like this like
2: So ethical non-monogamy Is like The umbrella Like if you think of Christianity As the umbrella Ethical non-monogamy Is the umbrella Got And it. then your like Sub-sex Or your Denominations Are okay. Polyamory Swingers Relationship Anarchists Hierarchical poly, non-hierarchical poly, so EM, ethical non-monogamy, mm. or CNM, conscious non-monogamy.
0: Which, oh. wow!
2: We can just spiral.
0: <laughs> I mean, there's so <laughs> many things. <to> like.
2: <laughs> or consensual non-monogamy, right? Yeah, are terms that a lot of folks use instead of saying poly or swinger, mm-hmm. because again, it's more broad. And it allows for more space for different relationship agreements to come into place. Mm-hmm. So I went to this EM mixer. And um, there was a few people there that are newer to the scene, newer to what ethical non-monogamy is. One person brought his friend who, you know, has been quote unquote non-monogamous, you know, but it's like your typical, like, You know, New York bartender that and I used to be a New York bartender, so I can say this and I love my peeps Uh, (laughs) and not everybody is like this. But New York bartender, young, flirty, attractive, knows how to sling drinks, literally just can get laid at the drop of a like, you know, quarter (laughs) (laughs) and did, you know, so had sex with lots of different people all the time, but like never said that. He was eating like ethically non-monogamous or poly or a swinger. It was just like, oh, you know, I'm single and uh, this is how it is. Uh, I don't know why he's Italian.
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: and um, and we were talking about kink and we were talking about asphyxiation. Mm-hmm. And I was saying that I like to be asphyxiated sometimes, you know, and that it feels good, you know, like a nice, solid, firm hand on the throat and, you know, someone that I can trust. And we, the conversation started to get a little steamy and mm-hmm. there was four of us speaking and uh, he, he reached out and he grabbed my throat. Oh, and okay, guy, <laughs> this is not the first time this has happened to me this is a recurring thing. I didn't ask for this person to do this just because I'm having a conversation doesn't mean it's an invitation. But because there was an energy shift, there was a level of comfort that now was being perceived to be had because we're talking about something specific and implicit and overtly sexual. Then there was some sort of like signal that went off in his brain that that meant that he could put his hands around my neck. And so my response was I stayed seated. I turned my head with his hand around my neck and I looked at him dead in the eyes and I said, take your hands off of me. And I said, don't do that again. Hmm. You know, like he got it. (laughs) Like it was very clear. Like he immediately went into like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I apologize. I don't know. Like, I'm getting used to this. Like, this is the first time for me. Now he's going into like victim kind of mode, making excuses for his behavior because something in him went into a predatory state Mm. where he decided to act on impulse without checking in with me or himself as to whether I would actually like that because I'm having a conversation around asphyxiation Mm -hmm. and preference And, you know, he retreated after that and kind of like went into like a little corner and like stopped really talking to the group because my friend also, you know, was like, that was unacceptable. You don't do that. And and then there was like a moment where like 30 minutes had passed or something. And I'm like, he's sulking in the corner and I'm just like, like, let me just tap him on the foot and be like, are you okay? Like, yeah, I'm affected, but like you, this other person also has impact where that other person just realized that they have predatory behavior. Mm. So not everybody is going to be able to do what I did. I'm not encouraging people to do what I did either. If they feel unsafe and they want that person to leave, they're well within their right to ask their friends to say, Hey, I don't feel safe with this person anymore. Can you please ask this person to leave this group? That's totally fine. I felt like this person was definitely realized what they did was not okay. <laughs> and they had a moment and like, I'm not going to ruin the rest of my night because this person just understood that they're a predator. And if they want to hire me as an intimacy coach so I can help them work through that, they can hire me. But the emotional labor stops here.
0: Mm. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah, no, very well said, and I think that's so important to to kind of look at, and especially especially in this day and age when there's unwarranted advances or you know things like that that happen all the time, mm-hmm. and they just go brushed off, right? Like they, most of it just flies under the radar, and mm-hmm. and people are never called out for it.
2: No, they're really not,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: and and there's a lot of victim blaming. And, and, you know, ultimately what I'm now stepping a lot into and wanting to develop more is, is conflict resolution workshops and mm. rupture repair workshops, de-escalation techniques. Like, cause that's what I've needed the most in my life. Yeah. Honestly, if, if anyone in my family had any of that training. And had the adequate, you know, psychological assistance and the adequate amount of sacred orgasms. I mean, we'd just be living in a completely different world.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So people can feel safe to be able to go there. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
2: And that's the thing about boundaries. Boundaries create safety because then we know where to go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then when we want to explore the edges, we can explore the edges with people that we've already built a level of trust with. Mm-hmm. you know, or with someone who's a professional, like a sex worker Yeah. for the most part. It depends, you know, not everyone that's a sex worker has a training that is needed to actually guide someone through an experience that would require them processing some deep emotional trauma. But a lot of sex workers do sexological body workers, sexologists, you know, and there's a lot of people who are, are here for everyone to serve, including mm-hmm. myself.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What does it look like to work with you as an intimacy coach? Is it like you work one-on-one with people or you work to, with couples? What does that landscape actually look like and who who? what kinds of people do you take on?
2: Yeah, I work with couples. I work one-on-one. I work with folks who are wanting to step out of their box. I work with folks who are not able to receive certain levels of intimacy in their current relationship and need support Mm -hmm. in that process. So it ranges, you know, there's the intellectual side and there's the reprogramming and the deprogramming and the learning of like certain tools, learning really what are boundaries, expectations, desires, fears, needs, What does that even mean? What does it mean for me? What does it mean in the way I like to receive it and the way I like to give it? Then there's emotional release techniques. We like go through that because it's really important to know how to move that energy in our Mm. bodies, especially in Western culture. Then there's some self-practices. I give
1: homework. Mm.
2: Semen retention is one of my favorite homeworks to give. (laughs) Uh, Or it could, yeah, I get it. You know, my prayers go out to those with penises. (laughs) The lingam folks. (laughs)
1: The lingam
2: folks. (laughs) (laughs) And then there is the body work, you Mm. know. So there's the incorporation of kink or tantra or both and exploring edges and doing that in the space of receiving, then of giving, then showing couples how to do it, groups how to do it. I facilitated a couple of workshops for the Austin Tantra Festival in December, and also for Relate Fest that just happened, mm. and for the One World Tantra Festival that was virtual. And so I'm I'm starting to do group facilitation in festival settings as well. And eventually the desire is to like, you know, have a retreat and, and bring groups of 20 or 30 people together to mm-hmm. learn a lot of this content in a way that's digestible and fun and easy to repeat.
0: Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I Love that. <laughs> yeah. That sounds so, so dope. More, <laughs> more expansion.
1: Yes. Expansion. Yes, expansion.
0: And <laughs> Every time you say tantra, I think tarantara. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I can say tantra.
0: I mean you can you are free to say tantra, <laughs> but it's just like in my mind I'm like tarantara. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's very sing anyway. Right?
0: <laughs> oh man Okay let's touch on One little last subject Before we, we wrap it up I feel like we could Probably do a part two Of this too At some point But The Gene Keys You're uh, I know you're Very deep into the Gene Keys And I'd love to hear a, how all of this ties in to Mm. the Gene Keys in in your world, because I've been to the Gene Keys as well for a while. I've been taking the Venus course and the Venus sequence and the Pearl sequence. I'm still kind of moving slowly through it, but I love the Gene Keys. They're amazing.
2: Yeah. Well, you're definitely way more advanced than I am. So I'll start with that. (laughs) I am still a noob when it comes to Gene Keys, but Gene Keys were a catalyst for me in 2020, when the pandemic finally hit Florida, which, you know, it hit Florida many, many months after.
0: <laughs> I mean, did it really hit yeah,
2: Florida? I, I, actually, I don't know. Yeah, I, I,
0: yeah.
2: Quote, unquote, when it hit Florida, I, I was I had decidedly become nomadic. Mm. I packed all my stuff into a storage unit in New York City in January of 2020 thinking I'll bartend my world, my, my, my way through the world at festivals and listen to facilitators and educators talk about sex positive content and mm. see what's missing and see where I can step in. And when that plan came to a screeching halt, I was found myself at my parents' house, you know, mm-hmm. 31 years old in my parents' place. I might've been 30. And just online. And there's this um, co-working hotel space in New York City called The Assemblage.
0: Ah, uh, yes. Yeah.
2: And The Assemblage uh, has this virtual game called Play Akasha. Which they took it down. They did. And I, I, I was just looking the other day to see if I could find my information and it's all gone. And I was like, Oh my God, I can't see like where I was before. Ah. But when I did the 30 or 28 day challenge that they did in 2020, I journaled almost every single day. Mm. So I actually have it in, in my notes where I could probably write a book. Wow. Yeah. And I just, I got hit in the most, pleasant cosmic way upside the head around shadow work Mm. and i i like my brain exploded like my whole body exploded my ego just like shivered
0: and
2: (laughs) my ego was like
1: no i wanted her to be angry forever or,
2: (laughs) or them and uh and Because of the Gene Keys, I was able to start taking a deeper look into myself in a way I had never done before. Mm. And it just opened so many doors. I remember getting a reading from that, you know, app and crying and just being like, whoa, like so much of who I feel myself to be in this moment in time is being reflected in these words. Mm. And in this gene key and in this path, you know, and it just started unwinding a lot of story and started helping me become more in tune with myself, more creative again, Mm. uh, more alive.
0: Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Love that. Dive into the gene keys. It's so good.
2: Yeah. I mean, human design is also great.
0: Yeah. And they're very correlated too. I find, I find with Gene Keys, it's way more poetic. Mm-hmm. I mean, Richard Rudd is just a, he like drips poetic yeah, wisdom. Yeah. He's boss. It's insane. <laughs> so good. The boss. He's a boss. He's a boss. <laughs> uh, what's your life's work?
2: Uh, I don't remember. I think Creator. Mm. Creator is somewhere in there for sure. And... So I think that might might be it. Beautiful. I, yeah.
0: Beautiful. Love that. Love that.
2: It's a card you pulled today.
0: I did. Yeah. I pulled the creator, you pulled the mystic. Mm. Quite a match, quite a duo here. <laughs> love it. I love it. Well, thank you for jumping on mm-hmm. and doing this with me. I had so much fun. Me too. And uh, where can people find you if they want to work with you, if they want to follow you?
2: Yes. What? So, my website is melizasmorris.com. Meliza is M E L E Z A S Morris. And then that's also my Instagram and Facebook. And I don't have a, what is it called? what's that site that all the like sexy people love to hop on and get paid
0: oh the the OnlyFans
2: OnlyFans (laughs) I don't have an OnlyFans yet Uh, but I don't know I could change (laughs)
1: okay okay
0: (laughs) amazing well thanks for thanks for coming on thank you Thank you all so much for tuning into today's episode of the Onken Radio podcast with special guest Melissa Morris. And I'm your host, Nick Onken. If you enjoyed today's episode, I would love it if you could help us out by go and leaving a review over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to this podcast. And uh, you can check out the site over at onkenradio.com for the show notes and anything that we talked about here. And you know what time it is. It's time to go out and create your life by creating every small moment. We'll see you next time.